Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Uh, this week we've been in Hungary uh, during obviously pretty historic, momentous events. Uh, I'm very pleased uh, today that we have a great guest on the program. That's Dr. Attila Demko, uh, who is an academic, he is a security expert and also an author. He's author of what will be a trilogy, actually. Uh, the Fury of the Tsar, Vicious Circle, which is his new book, is coming out uh, very soon on Amazon, so you can get it there. Um, I'm delighted he's joining us now. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for Attila. having me. I should actually add that your name on the book, if you're looking it up, is actually David Auteur, right? That is actually the the name um, that he has on uh, his writing name. Um, can I start by asking you, Attila, uh, let's go straight into the nitty-gritty. Um, in the West, anyway, in, in Britain at the moment, everyone is talking about Putin, and basically uh, they are... Uh, one has one view, one has another view, and I told you so, and this, that, the other. What kind of a man are we dealing with? is a man of history so he wants to make history he wants to rebuild Russia as a strong power that's what I'm writing in my books so actually um, actually these books are about are about how he could divide NATO there is Ukraine in it quite a lot of Ukraine but it's about how he could defeat NATO because that's his ultimate goal to be the basically the sole strong power on the continent he knew he knows very well that the, that the Germans and the French they are much weaker than, than, than Russia. He already told it to Monsieur Macron just a week ago uh, that your nuclear forces are nothing compared to ours. So he sees that if the NATO is not here, if NATO is in chaos, EU is in chaos, then he's, he's basically the strongest power on the continent. Mm. So that's, uh, that's, I think, ultimately what he wants, to push back NATO. Mm. And Ukraine is one step in it and that the enormously big step but but most probably not the final step uh, what he wants to make so my books actually book one was written before the crisis and this one is also written before the ukraine crisis but book three which uh, which i don't know how we'll write would be would have been about how ukraine is being totally dismantled and nato is being dismantled the first part actually he did that so i will focus on nato on, on book three all, all, all of it is based on, on basically what I ha have read as a former defense official and as a NATO official. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a man of history. He wants really to rebuild uh, Russia as, as one of the big powers of the world. Right. And he needs first step, Belarus and Ukraine for that. He already took Belarus and now he's taking Ukraine. But the whole story, I, it's, this story is not written from West, Western perspective. So I really tell why the Russians are angry and why he's furious. So not all what he's doing is without reason. So he has his reasons why he is furious because Russia was pushed back after the 1991 fall of the Soviet Union. So the Americans were picking country by country from his orbit. And he was also, I think in a way, humiliated uh, by the Americans mainly, calling him um, and his country, calling him a dictator very early on and his country as a big fuel station. 
Uh, and he's proving to, to the world that Russia is not just a big fuel station. It's a military power, it's an economic power, not a very big one, but still it's an important economic power because of oil, gas, and some technologies they have, military technology especially. So all this comes together, and of course he's a man closing uh, the age of 70. Yeah. So he wants to show the world um, what he's made of. And of course his time, he feels that his time is now limited, so he's doing it now. It's interesting actually because at the very end of this book, uh, as you pointed out to me, you sort of mentioned about the, the book coming, that it will actually sort of be about the invasion. So in other words, you sort of saw this coming. Yes. Whereas in say, Britain, for example, there's been, well basically I think the response has been one of surprise amongst many people. They didn't think he would go this far. So actually this time, um, in the last few weeks, I thought the same, that he's not going to do it this time. Right. Uh, and he can achieve his uh, objectives peacefully. That's what I believe, that all of this power projection is to, is to make Ukraine and the West to give up. So Ukraine especially to give up and be, become neutral. And he would continue. So I thought that it's attrition mm -hmm. because Ukraine is a poor country. Uh, Ukraine is a country of many problems. And Ukraine is a country with a lot of ethnic Russians or poor Russian people, at least on the east, eastern and southern part of Ukraine. So I thought that he's doing, uh, he's doing this uh, attrition work just to, just to make Ukraine to crack. But, you know. He didn't do that, so it was a surprise to me. It's not a surprise that he's doing everything to undermine uh, Ukraine and to undermine NATO. That's, that's, that, that was his goal since mm -hmm. 2008. Right. So actually he started this process in 2008 with the attack on Georgia. But, but you know, again, I'm, I'm not the typical uh, analyst in this, typical Western analyst, because I show the Rus Russian side. So actually yeah. uh, the main player in his book is Vladimir Putin himself. So yeah. I'm, I'm showing his mind, I'm yeah. showing his... Uh, his surroundings, I'm showing his inner circle, I'm showing how they interact with each other, that he's the Tsar and he's really humiliating his people, but sometimes he listens. So he's a good girl, he's a, he has a great mind of, on geopolitics. He has, a, of course, his vision, vision of, uh, of Russia is not something we would like to see in our, our countries, but he has a vision for his country. Uh, so I, that's what I try to describe in a non-usual non way, because the usual is that he's just evil. No, he's not evil, he's not like Darth Vader. He's a, he's a person of his, uh, of, his, uh, of his culture, he's a person of his, uh, of his time. What is his culture particularly, Putin? I, I mean, uh, sort of socially, I mean, when you say he's a man of, sees himself as a man of history, how, how does that manifest itself apart from invading? <laughs> well, you know, invading is part. If you look at the list of Russian invasions anywhere on the net, you will mm -hmm. find a lot of invasions, including invading Hungary several times. So they invaded us in the last 200 years at least four or five times. Mm -hmm. So actually they invaded everyone around. Um, what is he made of? First of all, he's a man of KGB. Mm -hmm. we, in the West, we always say that he's a KGB man. Actually, he was quite a low-level officer in Eastern Germany. I have a scene in the book, in, the, in book one, in the first book, which I wrote two years ago, when he's in Dresden mm -hmm. uh, and destroying, uh, destroying the KGB fights because there is a crowd outside and he goes out and threatens, uh, threatens the crowd uh, with, uh, that he will shoot at them uh, to, to destroy the remaining fights before they come in. 
because he's paranoid because he thinks that the crowd is organized by CIA mm -hmm. and CIA wants to take his wives. It's, it, it's an actual event. It happened. Uh, right. It happened in Dresden, uh, and he did actually he did what I describe in the book, but I also describe his his uh, his interesting relationship to his wife because that was also a big big uh, big thing at the time uh, and and now that he divorced we can see that uh, that he has uh, he has a taste of ladies right. so i try to put a, per a personal part of his life in, mm. in, in, into the book so to but he's a kgb man he's very paranoid of the west mm. he learned not to trust anyone and he's also a wounded man uh, because he saw the great soviet union to collapse in just two years to collapse, mm -hmm. to see your country, you know, British Empire was mm -hmm. the greatest empire the world has ever seen. But and of course, today there is no British Empire, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. there are there are Britain is everywhere, of course, Glo it's a global power, mm -hmm. but still not the empire it used to. But but the British Empire, um, you know, uh, was fifty or sixty or seventy years to to to, to transform itself. Uh, to, to what is today, the, the Commonwealth. Mm. So it was not just like a moment, but can you imagine a shock if your empire is being destroyed in just two years? Yeah. So it's a shock in him, it's a, it's a deep hurt in him. Uh, and it's, it's a deep hurt to see that Ukrainians are resisting. I'm pretty sure that now he's in his Novo Ogarievo uh, dacha mm. um, and, uh, and thinks and outraged why the Ukrainians are resisting him so much. Because he seem, sees Ukrainians and Belarusians as part of his wonderful Eastern Slavic uh, great country, mm -hmm. so that's 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 who he is. He's a, he's an actually in a in a way he's an idealist uh, in, in a terrible way mm -hmm. because he has this ideal of these three nations right. uh, together in a great country and uh, and be and you know uh, talk down to everyone in Europe. He sees himself like the basically the ruler of, of this part of the world. Yes. Um, do you think, well, here we are on, what is it, day four? I mean, we, we're, events move quickly, obviously, but we're on day four after the, of the invasion. And the narrative, at least, that's being said in the West, and Western press, is that basically it's going slower than he would like, and that the Ukrainians are putting up an extraordinary fight. Um, do you think that's true? Well, I think there is a, the Western narrative, there is the Russian narrative, uh, and there is maybe reality somewhere in, right. in the middle. Right. So I think the Western narrative is exaggerating uh, in, in that, that it's, it's, it's slow. Mm -hmm. Actually, the southern advance is actually fast. So the, the breakout from Crimea, I traveled all these regions, I traveled across Ukraine. I, I worked for the Ministry of Defense, so we knew where he will attack. So we went, went with a mission to, to, uh, to see these regions. So we have been to Perekop, which is at, uh, at, the, at Crimea, where Crimea mm. meets Ukraine proper. Mm. Crimea is a peninsula. So it has only three ways out. So it was extraordinary that the Russians could break out from Crimea like this, because we saw the Ukrainians troops there and they were waiting for the Russians to attack. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also extraordinary how they could bypass Kherson so, uh, and then uh, took, took two bridges on the Dnieper River. So I see some of the, some of the Russian uh, moves in the south as great successes and very, very fast successes. Uh, so I don't agree that it's slow. And actually when you say the fuel is out, 
and you say that it's slow, then you are concluding. I, I saw it just before I came to give yeah, this interview yeah. on BBC, yes. on a BBC article that first part of the sentence, all it's slower than expected. Well, the fuel of the Russian tanks are out. So which one? Because if it's if they go slow, then mm. then the fuel is not out. The fuel is usually out when you go faster than your logistics. So actually, they go faster than their logistics. So I don't see that in the south. Mm. They are already at Mikolaev, which is a large, uh, large uh, shipmaking, shipbuilding city. We have been there too. It's a, it's a strategic city for Russia, mm. actually, because their shipmaking suffered a lot mm. uh, because Ukraine was responsible for some parts of their ships. So that's why Ukraine is so important for, the, for yes. him, yeah. because part of the Soviet defense in industry, a large part of it is in Ukraine, including helicopter motors helicopter engines, uh, ship uh, turbines, a lot of stuff is in Ukraine. So he wants maybe to get back this, this part of his defense industry. So Mikolaev is an important town and Odessa is an important town and then Transnistria. So I think this, this attack vector is going well and the other attack vector to Mariupol is going well too. Uh, they are already at Berdyansk, which is not that far from Mariupol. Uh, and I think that now they, they, so they see that there is stronger than expected resistance. So they saw it in Kharkiv, they saw it in Kiev. But uh, now I think he switched, uh, switched gears and he wants to take over the eastern uh, part of the Ukrainian army, which is near the Donbass. Right. That's the strongest army formation of the Ukrainian uh, army. Mm. So if he surrounds it, then, uh, then Ukraine's military capabilities are halved. Mm. So I think that he is focusing now, or he will focus in the next few days, if there are, if there is a no, no breakthrough in the negotiations, mm. because he's also, you know, pushing the Ukrainians with the negotiation that if, if you don't do this, we will do this. So maybe the Ukrainians budge or break. Mm. I, I don't think so now, looking at Zelensky, President Zelensky, but it can happen. So they are negotiating today in Gomel, mm. in, in Belarus. So what I see in the south is going well. Kharkiv, you know, they say that there was a victory. Again, Western press says it's a victory in Kharkiv. I think the Russian had a recommission to Kharkiv. A recommission doesn't mean that you, don't, you want to conquer the time. You just see how strong defenses are. Yeah. So this recommission maybe went badly. I don't know about that, but that is shown. I saw two vehicles burning on TV on, uh, I think, Al Jazeera. That's not a, not, a, not a big victory, but it's portrayed as a big victory in Western press. And the third main vector is Kiev. Actually, I'm surprised that they, they reached Kiev so fast. Mm. Uh, um, because the Ukrainians, the Americans were warning the Ukrainians for, for weeks that Kiev is the target, is mm. a target or mm. the main target. So either they didn't build up defenses at the north, at Chernobyl, uh, and at other points uh, at the border of, with Belarus, mm -hmm. or, or the Russians somehow outmaneuvered them. For example, it's not reported in the Western press, but I know from my Ukrainian sources that the air, at the airport at Hostomel, there was a big battle and the, the Western sources say that they killed the Chechen commander. So it's a big victory. I'm sure they killed the Chechen general because the Chechen volunteers are some of the cruelest and toughest fighters of Russia. Mm. Mr. Kadyrov is his private, uh, private army. It's Putin's private, chief of Mr. Putin's private army. So what I want to say that at, air, that at the airport, a lot of helicopters and a lot of equipment of the Ukrainian Air Force was destroyed. Mm. So it's, a, it's, it's maybe very hard for the Russians to keep that airport, but they already reached one big objective. Mm. Much of the Ukrainian Air Force is out. It's destroyed. Mm. 
and part of it was destroyed in a dawn raid, in a dawn helicopter raid by in, on the first day by the Russians. So the real picture, just like as, as I write in my books, much of the Russian propaganda is just like that propaganda, but some of it is true. And, you know, we have to face it that BBC or CNN or the major news portals, they are influenced by what the, the local, what the defense ministry say, says yeah. in, in, in Britain, what, uh, what the Pentagon says in, in the US. So they write down many times what the Pentagon or, or the Ministry of Defense um, want to, wants, to, wants them to write down. So generally I feel that uh, it's not going as well for the Russians as they hoped for, especially the resistance of the people. So maybe there is less support for Russia in the population, even on the East, than they thought and what Putin hoped. Um, but it's not going uh, terribly badly, as it's shown today uh, by, by some of the major, major news sources in the West. But it can go badly mm. uh, for several reasons. We don't know what is going inside in Russia, for example. How yeah. big is the support for, for this war? Because we see signs that the support is not that, that strong for the war. Yes, I understood actually that in fact it was no, by no means unanimous uh, support for no. the war before that. They didn't prepare the Russian public. So when I looked at, uh, at, uh, at the reports coming out from the US and they, they were right. So the reports of the CIA and the Pentagon, the warnings mm. were close to, close to, close to 100% right. Not the dates, that was silly to give dates that they are attacking on the 16th or whatever. But uh, the reports, reports were right. But one thing, two things were missing for me very, very interestingly from the picture. One, they didn't prepare the Russian public. There was no big propaganda campaign that the evil Ukrainians just want to destroy the, the separatist republic. It started now, but they, they didn't work on the public for months and months and months. You know, if you repeat things enough times, people start to believe it anyway. And especially in a country like Russia, where TV is still a very important uh, factor. And for, for Russians, they still watch TV. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's one thing. The other thing, there was, there was not enough occupying troops. So for, for attacking, you need high level troops, um, elite forces, and they do have elite forces, but where are the occupying troops? To, to keep a town, you don't need elite forces. Actually, even civilians can, can wreak havoc with somebody attacking an, an attacker force yeah. in a town. Yeah. Because it's, you know, just you shoot out from the window. You, if you kill two soldiers before you, you get killed, it's already something big for, for somebody who, who is a civilian. But the Russians have uh, occupying forces, the National Guard. Um, they could have, and it's nowhere to be seen yet, or and we didn't see it yet. So it's the Russian army which is going in. So these are the factors, um, you know, I would say that, that were unseen um, before, but now it's, it's very clear. Mm. Do you think uh, as well that the, uh, one of the influences on Putin uh, at the moment would be what appears to be the absolute weakness of the West. Um, you know, in terms just even on a cultural level, you know, yeah, this point is made, and, and every day we sort of see instances of this, most recently with our own head of MI6 tweeting about LGBT rights, right at the heart of this. Um, how, how big a part would that play in his thinking? Yeah, so I, I, it's, it's an excellent question, truly because that's what I'm thinking uh, since the beginning of this crisis. I really think that uh, 
that Putin thought that we are weaker than we are. And much of this is because of this woke craze, yeah. which is in, it's in the US, as, as you say, in, in Britain, in Germany. I mean, when we debate if, if, a, if a transgender man or whatever, a woman can compete with, a, with females, and that's the main debate in our countries, why China and Russia is, is rising, then we are in trouble. So actually, we have the culture war within our countries. It's eating up our energies and we are not looking to the world. What's happening? Mm -hmm. It's not only Russia, it's not only China. Africa is collapsing. Mm -hmm. The Sahara region is collapsing and we don't talk about this because we are engaging in silly debates. We are engaging in almost religious debates about these questions. I, when I see Adele attacked because she says that she's happy to be a woman, mm -hmm. or when G.K. Rowling is attacked for mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. anti-trust, for me it's like, uh, guys, the world is collapsing around yeah, us. Yeah. Is this the most important question of, of, of a large part of the British press? Sometimes I torture myself and I read Guardian, and you know, half of it is like this. What do I feel about myself? Yes. What is this? What do you feel about yourself and st stuff like that? The world is collapsing around us and we are blind to it. Mm. And now it's a big wake up call. Mm. And, it, and I'm happy to see the Germans, at least the Germans woke up. You know, they just said today that they're going to spend 100 billion euros more on, on military uh, this year, which means if I read it well, that they, they will more than double their military budget. And it's a green, uh, left green coalition who, who said that. So maybe, maybe the West is weak, but it, it, we weakened ourselves and we made ourselves looking foolish in the eyes of Putin or Xi Jinping, that's for sure. Do you think it really is a wake up call for the West? I How hope. can one tell? I mean, I, I'm just, I don't mean to be an invidious comparison, but I remember with the, the woke ideology. Everyone said at the beginning of COVID and the pandemic, this will change everything, you know. And you just wonder, you know, it didn't basically, it became more intense. And I'm just wondering that because this is such a, you know, blatant and such a, 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 a understandable threat that it actually might make a difference to the West. Well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, at least I'm hoping, because we need to, we need to focus ourselves on the external threats. Mm. And we are making uh, internal threats and divisions out of issues which it should be not the most important issues mm -hmm. in our lives. I mean, can I sort of ask, somebody who advised the government and is a security expert, yeah. you know, what is your view when you see something from like the head of MI, our MI6 saying that, uh, you know, LGBTQ rights are, are in fact probably one of the most important things that separate us from Putin and Russia, uh, we should keep tweeting about this. I mean, do you, uh, to me, it, it's astounding and I, I am embarrassed when I read that. What, what is, what's your view? You know, I mean, it's a complete misreading of the situation. It's not ideology really which mm. separates us from Putin. It's not uh, authoritarian against democratic or anti-LGBT against LGBT. Mm. No, Russia wants to be the strongest power on the European continent. Mm, mm. That's it. Mm. It's a fact. Mm. And it, it, if Russia would be more democratic and pro-LGBT, that wouldn't change the fact if 
person like Putin is, is in, is in, is in uh, the, the chair yeah. or who is making the decision that they are a threat to us. You know, they are not a threat because they are anti-LGBT. They are a threat because they are aggressive. And even a democracy can be aggressive. Mm. But, mm. you know, if you look back what the US did in, in 2003 in Iraq, I mean, it was an, it was an aggressive act. Mm. Russians always say that anyway, that, oh, what did you do in Iraq? Mm-hmm. That's that's what uh, that's what they uh, say. so. What I want to say that uh, that uh, uh, Rush for for Putin, of course, he has this macho ego, and he talks about uh, LGBT people sometimes in a not uh, very high manner. But for him, this is question number one thousand two hundred. Mm-hmm. Number one is Russian power. Number two is Russian power. Number three is Russian power. And when somebody in MI6 or I think I think I think he was he knew what he's saying is untrue, but he needed to say that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that that uh, that these politicians, many of them, don't believe what they say about this. But they things. might as well because the effect is the same. Yeah, well, you know, if 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 they think this is the important question in the world, I tell you one thing. My friend served at, uh, at the European External Affairs Service, which is the European Corp Diplomatique, as a diplomat in Africa. And you know, in that African country, they are not really LGBTQ free. So the European Embassy, based on, uh, on the distru- uh, instructions from Brussels, started to push this, push this agenda. First of all, European relations nosedived with that African country. I'm not going to name it. The Chinese came in, the Russians came in, they didn't ask questions about LGBTQ. So is it good for us that we are pushing ourselves mm-hmm. out from mm-hmm. several African countries and, and China mm-hmm. comes in and Russia comes in? Is it, you know, it's a question. Mm-hmm. Is it clever? Maybe the MI6 director can answer this. Mm-hmm. But the main thing was that they didn't even help the LGBTQ community because they started to beat, beat up LGBTQ people after these pushes. Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's, it's self-defeating, it's self-defeating. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Coming back to, to the current situation, a, a lot of people's fears about it obviously do relate to the sheer uh, surprise element of what could actually happen, what could be triggered elsewhere, you know, what conflagration could come next. What do you think of the... I mean, this is speculation, I do know, but I mean, you know, w- w- where would you see the real dangers coming from, from this particular act that we're talking about? From the war in Ukraine? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I think the main danger uh, for us, at least in, in, in Eastern and Central and Eastern Europe, that there is a huge refugee wave. Yeah. It's amazingly big already. We took in 62,000 people in four yeah. days. Uh, so for Britain, you have like seven times the population it would be hundreds of thousands and Poland is also taking a lot of people. So that's a, that's a refugee, but we don't know where it will end, where, what it will transform into. Just now, Russia announced that they are raising the nuclear forces threat level to the highest. So they are basically, that's, that's, that sounds very ominous, that the Russian nuclear forces now stand by to strike. Mm. This is not a good news. So. If the Ukrainian operation is not, doesn't go well, and Russia is bogged down, and yeah. the, uh, because Ukraine is getting more and more weapons from the West, uh, it can react uh, irrationally. Yeah. I, I still don't see that Putin is a suicidal person. He is not. Uh, but you never know. 
worse it is for him and for his entourage, actually, the more dangerous it is. Mm. Because he, if he's cornered, he will attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he will, if he's more cornered, he will attack twice the strengths and twice the aggressiveness. So to play with Putin, he's the all-in type of guy. Uh, it's dangerous. So mm. that's for me, that's the biggest danger. Of course, I would like to see uh, the Russians to lose, uh, but uh, not, not in a very humiliating and spectacular way. Because if that happens, then we are in real trouble. Yeah. Because then we have an extremely angry Russia uh, facing at us. And as I said, as I described in my books, they have a lot of tools to divide us, uh, especially in this region, because this region is full of history and change borders yes. and ethnic animosities. If, I think from Britain, people look at the Central and Eastern Europeans as one block. But actually, we have more than a thousand years of history fighting each other. So mm. imagine that uh, Hungarians and Romanians look at each other like the Irish and the Brits. So we had a lot of blood, bad blood uh, between each other. And we are still in NATO, but next to each other. Mm -hmm. The same is true with, uh, with, uh, with Hungary and Slovakia, not to, to that extent. Or actually, there, are, there is trouble between Poland and Lithuania. It's not very obvious, but part of the Lithuanian capital, Vilnius, was, was a city called Vilno in Poland before. It was a Polish city, ethnically Polish city, before Stalin took it away. It's not a big issue now between Poland and Lithuania, but the Russians are working to exploit all of these fault lines mm. in our region. So um, I would be afraid if, 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 if for a Russian humiliating defeat uh, in, in Ukraine, because that could further uh, the Russian uh, feeling of, of humiliation and revenge.